Hello and welcome to HP Lovecraft Book Club. In this episode, we'll be looking at uh, what's its full name? A reminiscence of Dr. Samuel Johnson. So this is not a horror story. It's not included in either of the Leslie Klinger anthologies, although I think it should be because you can have a lot of fun just with the footnotes of that. I mean, I think that's what makes the Leslie Klinger edition so valuable for us are the footnotes and all the references. And boy, there's a load of references here. So what I'm going to try to do is, even though I'm not that up on the literary culture of the 18th century, I'm going to try to just give you a rough outline of who these, these people are. So this was originally published, it was written in 1917 and published not long after in the United Amateur. This was one of the amateur journalism magazines that Lovecraft wrote for during this time. And it's essentially a little piece of wit. It's, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you the story as far as it is. Uh, we, we're inter the narrator here is the, the author is Humphrey Littlewit, and that's what Lovecraft published it under. Uh, this Humphrey Littlewit Esquire was born in 1690. He's still alive, you know, 200 years later. I think it's exactly 200 years after Lovecraft was born, because Lovecraft was born in 1890. So. Um, I think that's the same day. So it's uh, literally uh, Lovecraft 200 years ago. And Lovecraft really had a fascination with the 18th century. He uh, seemed to have think that, thought that this was like the peak of English civilization, uh, literary culture at least. And he writes about this a lot in his letters. And if, as we go through his letters, we're going to see this uh, deep love of the 18th century come up quite a lot, whether it's in architecture or whether it's in literary culture, uh, manners, or whatever. I mean, Lovecraft tended, he was a conservative, obviously, but he was a conservative who really looked at the 18th century as this peak of English civilization, kind of a period he wanted to to go back to. Um, now, the the plot of this is essentially this guy is telling his his interactions with Samuel Johnson and the Literary Club. So the Literary, literary Club, uh, just called the Club, was founded in six, 1763 by Joshua Reynolds and Samuel Johnson and Edmund Burke. So it wasn't just English. It was uh, Edmund Burke, of course, is Irish. Um, and they would meet once a week. Uh Less so when Parliament was in session, because many of the members of the Literary Club were members of Parliament and politicians and aristocrats. Um, and yeah, it was just a grouping. It was a grouping of, of the London literary per personalities, right? So this guy, this guy who's still alive in the story, Humphrey Littlewit, was a member of the club, uh, obviously made up. But everyone else here is real. Everyone else uh, mentioned in the story is real. Um, but he joins the club. He interacts a little bit with Samuel Johnson, but he's always kind of sidelined as being a lesser mind among these great figures. So that's the theme of the story is Lovecraft is kind of making a little bit of fun of his own fascination with the 18th century. But he's also uh, suggesting that he himself in his own efforts, you know, doesn't live up to their their ability there there's one time in the story and it's a very short story it's only two pages um or so he he approaches samuel johnson and gives him some praise and samuel johnson replies right you're like you're a great critic you might as well have said milton wrote paradise lost you know 
that that his suggesting his wit is not is not doesn't go much beyond or his brilliance doesn't go much beyond the obvious. Um, so then we get the the little bit of the history of the club. I'm not quite sure where Lovecraft got this from. He maybe from Bos I think from Boswell's Life of Samuel Johnson, because he quotes uh, a poem that if you kind of search it, it is cited, and this exact story is pulled from Boswell's uh, The Life of Samuel Johnson. But he may have got it somewhere else. Um, so maybe he got the history of the club from there, or maybe from Samuel Johnson himself. I'm not sure. I don't read that stuff. Uh, you know, not, you know. I've read some of these people uh, that are mentioned here. Burke, of course, Adam Smith. Um, I I read uh, Goldsmith. I, I read a little bit of one play. You know, a lot of these, unless you're really into the 18th century literary culture, you know, I, I'm into the 18th century, but more than like the working class culture and the uh, kind of Atlantic history stuff rather than this kind of London parochial uh, literary culture. But anyways, we, uh, what else to say? And that's the story, basically. And then the story just sort of ends with the author saying, I'm getting tired, presumably because he's very old and needs a nap. Uh, we see some of the politics of the literary club. Some people get kicked out for being too Whiggish. This seems to have been uh, filled with conservatives. Or at the very least, we know Lovecraft was a conservative who sided with, in his thinking about the 18th century, sided with the, the Tories versus the Whigs. Uh, so uh, that's a little bit of what we get here. Uh, I think, yeah, there's a mention here of, yeah, so quote, Dr. and I, as well as many others, were high Tories, whilst Mr. Burke was a Whig and against the American War. Many of his speeches on the subject have been widely published. So there's, uh, but one one person, for instance, was blackballed from joining, John Bergung, who was the one who's defeated at Saratoga. So there is mention here of the American Revolution, which I think is relevant. When we look at Lovecraft's poems from this period, and I, I've been really thinking, my original plan was to look at the poems as a bulk, as a group later on. But now I'm thinking, since so many of the poems come early in his career, I maybe should look at them after I deal with the stories written prior to 1920. Maybe look at the poems then, or at least the ones written before 19. 20 as well because thematically they tie so much to this but it's in this period that he's at this peak of his anglophilia i, th I think that's really true and and you see it in his world war one writings his commentary in world war one his he he writes in one i think it's a poem or a story maybe maybe he i mean not a story a, a piece of nonfiction, but it certainly shows up in both poetry and in some of his nonfiction writing from the time is this idea that somehow the greatest evil in history or one of the greatest evils in history was the American revolution because it broke up this Anglo-American family. Um, and so he gets to kind of pick on uh, John Bourguignon for, for losing at Saratoga, which of course leads uh, to American independence. So anyways, there's not much of a story here. It's just a guy talking about, uh, Samuel, Samuel Johnson and the Literary Club. But uh, let's let me if Leslie Klinger were here uh, doing the story, he would have, give, of course, given us a full biography of each of these people. And I wouldn't have to. But um, let's try uh, all the people mentioned in this story. So first we have Joseph Addison, um, Joseph Addison, essayist, 
playwright and poet. He founded a magazine called The Spectre, and his most famous work was the play Cato. So his dates were 1672 to 1719, if, if you care to know. Now, he's not mentioned as a member of the literary club, but he's mentioned as an early acquaintance of our narrator. Um, so uh, where's the line here? Um, so coming to the early years of London, I saw as a child many of the celebrated men of King William's reign, including the lamented Mr. Dryden, who sat much at the tables of Wool's Coffee House, with Mr. Addison and Dr. Swift, Swift, I really became more acquainted and was even more familiar friend to Mr. Pope, who I knew and respected till the day of his death. So, of course, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, king William is the King William of William and Mary, who was who became king after the Glorious Revolution and overthrowing of, of James the Second in 1688-1689. He was brought in as the wife of James's sister, Queen, who, Queen Mary. So he was part of the Stuart family, but but kind of, of the, you know, he was that Dutch um, prince who was brought in to be the King of England. And then there was succeeded, of course, by, by Queen Anne, the final of the Stuart monarchs. Um, so that's, that, so I guess King William is mentioned here. Uh, who else do we got here? Dr. Swift, uh, of course, uh, Jonathan Swift, satirist. An Irish satirist, uh, writer of Gulliver Travels, writer of Gulliver's Travels, and A Modest Proposal, and things like that. Uh, most of you have probably read some of Swift's stuff. Um, this this book or this art this story is really a good, I guess, introduction uh, to maybe some of the personalities of the of the English Enlightenment of of the of the eighteenth century English thought. So, if you do want just kind of a kind of a list of names to maybe explore if you want to know more about 18th century uh, literary culture in England. This may not be a bad story to look at, but if you're not interested in any of that stuff, this might be one to skip. <laughs> uh, we got, of course, uh, Pope is mentioned, the poet, probably the Alexander the Pope, the most famous uh, poet and writer in England after maybe Shakespeare. So like Swift, maybe I don't have to say too much about him. Uh, his dates, though, were 1688 to 1744. So these are early mentions. So this guy, of course, born in 1690. You know, he was kind of a contemporary of these people like Swift, Pope, um, Joseph Addison. And then we got Samuel Johnson mentioned, of course. He's the focus of this entire um, story. Um, and what to say about him? Um, he lived from 1709 to 1784, uh, referred to as Dr. Johnson. I think doctor was a bit of a pseudonym, although at one point in the story, Lovecraft mentions like the doctor, although he wouldn't get that title for two more years. I, I don't know if he like, literally was a doctor. I think it was his, his pen name. Um, so he's just another giant of, of 18th century literature. You know, it's one of those figures. How do you even start talking about him? Um, also, I didn't really study him ever. Um, yeah, you know, what kind of things did he write? Well, um, you know, the Dictionary of English Language is his perhaps the most important contribution to English letters. He did a lot of work on Shakespeare. He wrote a book called The Lives of the Most Eminent English Poets. He's also just a a personality of of London literary culture. I mean, he was the center of this club. He was center of I mean, he was friends with so many of these different different writers. Um, so. I don't know. 
wrote a lot of literary criticism. A lot of biographies written about him too. I'll, I'll mention some of them here. So uh, the next character mentioned in this little story is Samuel Richardson. And he's mentioned here just as someone who recognized Samuel Johnson's greatness quite early. Uh, Samuel Richardson wrote three epistolatory novels, Pamela Clarissa and the History of Sir Charles Grandinson, um, none of which I've, I've read, but apparently he was another famous figure of, of the early 18th century. Um, so with that, with those are kind of the, from the first people mentioned. Oh, we get M Mr. James Boswell, who does become a member of the club later. He was a close friend of Johnson. He wrote a biography. He was from Scotland. He wrote a biography of Samuel Johnson uh, eventually. Um, so he's, he's, of course, a major figure in his life. Um, and, and there's a quote later on, a poem, which I searched for, and I found it in Boswell's biography of Samuel Johnson. So Mel Milton's mentioned here. Uh, Milton, obviously, the, the, the great English poet who wrote Paradise Lost. Um, so with that, with that out of the way, we start to get the formation of the literary club. So about halfway through the story, we're told of the formation of the literary club. So the first part of the story is just about this early, early 18th century culture. And, and then the second half of the story, we get this later 18th century uh, London culture with the formation of the literary club. And we get a whole bunch of names listed in just a few lines. Um, these are all real people. These are all really the founding members of the literary club, along with Boswell. Oh, no, no, Boswell wasn't a founding member, along with Burke and, and, and Johnson. So Edmund Burke, of course, uh, most famous for supporting the American Revolution, being a member of parliament, supporting the, well, not supporting the American Revolution, but being against British intervention in the American Revolution. And eventually he, of course, gets in his big uh, battle with Thomas Paine over the French Revolution. And he becomes known as more of a conservative figure in the post-French Revolutionary era because of his attacks on the French Revolution. Uh, one of his most important ideas in that era is this idea that rights are somehow inherited, uh, political liberties are inherited, and that's why the English have them and why the Americans inherited them, but the French didn't because they lived in despotism. And Thomas Paine's retort to that is that all men have access to these rights. Um, all right, um, who else is mentioned here? Uh, Bo Clark, it took me a while to find out who this is. I had to end up looking at the Wikipedia entry for the club itself to find him because there's a lot of Bo Clarks, a lot of aristocrats. But this is Topham, Topham, T-O-P-H-A-M, Bo Clark. So for him, we got, uh, he was born 1739. He lived into 1780, so he didn't live very long. Um, but a celebrated wit and a friend of Dr. Johnson and Horace Walpole. So um, not too much about him, but um, about his writings. Nothing really mentioned here about his writings. But there we are. He's a aristocrat. Next, we have uh, Bennett. Uh, I can't even read my own handwriting here. Bennett Langton. Sorry. Ben Bennett Langton is his name. So uh this is sound familiar. Okay, born 1736 to 1801, English writer, founding member of the Literary Club, close friend of Samuel Johnson. So this is this story is really this is the Johnson circle, it seems, and and you know Lovecraft was really fascinated by these guys, it seems. Um, mostly writers, 
Um, but we get some others. For instance, the next name we get is uh, Re- Joshua Reynolds. Joshua Reynolds was an English painter. Uh, he did portraits, uh, one of the major painters of the 18th century. He was a founder of the Royal Academy of, of the Arts. So he was also a member of the club. Um, where is it here? Um, Reynolds worked long hours in his studio, rarely taking a holiday. He was gregarious and keenly intellectual, with many friends in London intelligentsia, numbered among whom were Dr. Samuel Johnson, Oliver Goldsmith, Edmund Burke, blah, 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 other people. Johnson said in 1778, Reynolds is too much under Charles James Fox and Burke at present. He is under the Fox star in the Irish constellation, meaning Burke. He is always under some planet. Um, But he's part of this circle, too. Um, but a painter, so it's not just not just writers. We get a few other um, there. Uh, next, we have mentioned Oliver Goldsmith. He's, of course, famous for plays such as She Stoops to Conquer and The Good-Natured Men. Um, he lived from 1728 to 1774. Um, another major figure of the, of the circle. Um, next, we have Dr. Uh, Christopher Nugent who is a physician, was a physician, and he was Burke's father-in-law. So he was actually, I think Burke was his patient. And through that relationship, he met uh, Nugent's daughter and married her. So he became uh, Edmund Burke's father-in-law. What else do we got here? Uh, These are all still just mentioned in a few lines when Lovecraft mentions the founding of of the club. John Hawkins. Uh, John Hawkins. Do I have the entry up for that? Um, no, I, I took it down. Uh, John Hawkins. He wrote a biography of Samuel Johnson and, interestingly, a general history of the science and practice of music. So if you're interested in the, the science of music, maybe you want to check out John Hawkins. Um, next, uh, Anthony Charmier. Anthony Charmier was an official, uh, an aristocrat, uh, an MP politician so well that's all the names that are mentioned here as the founding members of the literary club and you can go to the google and and search the literary club and you'll see the same list of names um, then lovecraft goes on a little bit about the workings of the club some of the members uh, some of the debates and discourses within the club and then uh, about a half of uh, about a Half page later, we get the expansion of the club, later members who join, and we get another huge list of, of names. Um, so I'm not going to maybe go through in too much detail all of these people, but they're all there. They're all there for you to find. Uh, David Garrick, um, J-A-R-R-I-C-K, David Garrick, who was an actor. And the suggestion here is that he was not really wanted in the club because of being a uh, because he was an actor, um, but he was also a playwright and a theater manager. Um, so he was a, a very one of the more famous actors from his time, and he did have this literary influence. Despite not being known as a very good playwright, he did influence um, playwriting at the time. So he was a, a member of this circle. We have two brothers, uh, Thomas and Joseph Wharton, both of whom were literary critics. Uh, Thomas Morton lived 1728 to 1790, and Joseph Wharton is was older, 1722 to 18, 1800, and they both had wrote various works, 
none of which I think people read anymore, unless you're a specialist in the 18th century. Um, so who else do we have here? Uh, next, Thomas Percy. Thomas Percy, 1729 to 1811. These all have very, very similar dates. These are all contemporaries, all within a few years of each other, all within that kind of same English Enlightenment period. But Thomas Percy was a bishop um, and a chaplain to George III, King George III. Charles Burney is next mentioned. Charles Burney, uh, 1726 to 1814, was a music historian, composer, and musician. Uh, next, we have Edmund Malone. Edmund, Edmund Malone, 1741 to 1812, a literary scholar and another literary critic. So a lot of these people have similar careers, but they're all kind of in Lovecraft's mind, probably in reality being overshadowed by this larger-than-life personality of, of, of Samuel Johnson. So, um, Voltaire's mentioned. I mean, that's pretty much the names of the groups that, that we get. Um, yeah, I think that, that's pretty much it. I may have missed one or two, but I think that's, that's, the, that's the names that Lovecraft was interested in. And I'm assuming Lovecraft read these people, or at least was aware of them secondhand through biographies of Samuel Johnson or Johnson's own writing. Um, Voltaire's mentioned. We get a nice little paragraph about Voltaire. Uh, in this luminous company, I was tolerated more because of my years than for my wit or learning, being no match for all the rest. My friendship for the celebrated Monsignor Voltaire was ever a cause of annoyance to the doctor, who was deeply orthodox and who's to say of the French philosopher, vir et acrimini ageni a parcurium literatum. I'm sorry for my bad Latin. Uh, that translates as a sharp mind, but poor in letters. Um, so we get other kind of nuances here. We get one effort by this narrator to to improve on a improvement that Samuel Johnson made to a poem. And I, I referred to this poem before. So basically, this is what Lovecraft writes here. Dr. Johnson was second to none or second to no man in the pains he took to revise the bad verse of others. Indeed, to set in the book, the poor blind old Miss Williams, there are scarce two lines which are not the doctor's. Ah, there's someone I forgot to look up. I should really be punished because uh, for forgetting her because that is the only woman mentioned in, in this. And maybe the only woman mentioned in Lovecraft stories up to this point. Um, I guess there was that girl who died in the secret cave. So Helen Maria Williams is who he's referring to here. Um, 1759 to 1827, British novelist and translator of French language works, a religious dissenter. She was a supporter of abolitionism and the ideas of the French Revolution, as were some other members of this circle. I, I, when I was searching through the, um, searching through these Wikipedia entries. Um, a controversial figure in her own time, the young Williams was favor, favorably portrayed in a 1787 poem by William Wordsworth, but she was portrayed by other writers as irresponsibly politically radical and even as sexually wanton. Oh, boo-hoo, uh, boo, not boo-hoo, I mean boo. Boo to these other writers, including Lovecraft here, for suggesting that Samuel Johnson wrote all her good prose. So, whatever. That's Lovecraft for you. Not the most feminist of, of writers, to be sure. But anyways, going on um, to this. At one time, Johnson recited to me some lines by a servant to the Duke of Leeds, 
who had so amused him that he got them by heart. They are on the Duke's wedding, and so much resembled the quality of work of others in more recent political dunces that I can't forbid copying them. And then we get this quote, and the poem is, When the Duke of Leeds shall married be to a fine young lady of high quality, how happy will that gentleman be in his grace of Leeds' good company. So I searched that, and it's in the Boswell's The Life of Samuel Johnson. And, and this is what Boswell wrote. Quote, it is very remarkable that he retained in his memory very slight and trivial as well as important things. As in an instance of this, it seems that an inferior domestic of the Duke of Leeds has attempted to celebrate his grace's marriage in such a homely rhyme that he could make. And this curious composition having been sung to Dr. Johnson, he got it by heart and used to repeat it in a very pleasant manner. Two of these stanzas were, and then we get them. To hear a man of the weight and dignity of Johnson repeating such humble attempts at poetry had a very amusing effect. So this isn't edited, this isn't revised by Johnson. It's just something that he remembered. And, and the point was he had good memory. So um, Lovecraft here, though, tries to improve on it. And when Johnson hears it, Johnson says, Sir, you've straightened out the feet, but you've put neither wit nor poetry into the lines. So again, we get this self-abasement by Lovecraft saying, I'm not the match of these, of these greater, greater figures. Um, so that's the story. At that point, the story just sort of um, peters out. The, the, the author says he's tired and has to go to sleep. Um, you know, and it just sort of ends with the, the refusal to enter Joan Borgian into the group. And it's suggested that the reason why is because he was defeated by the Americans at the Battle of Saratoga. So anyways, that's probably more than you wanted to know about the reminiscence of Dr. Samuel Johnson, more than you need to know. I, I do think it's a real shame that, that Leslie Klinger didn't include this into the, the second volume of of the new annotated Lovecraft, just because he's so good at digging up these these little facts about things, and he doesn't do it in this case. It, it, it would have been a there would have been more notes than than the story's length. Maybe that's why he didn't include it. He didn't want to he didn't want to look up all these 18th century folks. But I think if you're a Lovecraft fan and you want to understand especially his World War One era writings, you need to understand his relationship with England and 18th century literary culture. And that's why I think this story is actually rather important to, to, to think about. So um, a good place to start if you want a, a list of people to read, just if you want to begin exploring 18th century London or the English British Enlightenment. Because some of these were some of these people mentioned are Irish and Scottish. But anyways, there it is. Um, so that's that's uh, it for this episode. If you have your own thoughts about the reminiscence of Dr. Samuel Johnson, uh, let me let me know. I'll, I'll be coming back to this a little bit when I look at some of his other writings, uh, his nonfiction writings. But um, for now, we're going to go back into the supernatural. Uh, with the next tale, I guess there is supernatural in this one. I mean, someone shouldn't live for. 220 years but uh that's just a, a device for the story uh, in the next in the next story we're going to look at it'll be the next story we're going to look at is polaris so this is sort of his first dreamland kind of story uh so that that's significant it's a it's a clearly well the tomb i guess fits somewhat into the dreamland's narrative a little bit but this is a clearly you have dreams being used to get to kind of a other world fantasy so um, I'm excited to begin talking about Polaris.
next. So um, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the HP Lovecraft Book Club.